My name is Felipe Cabrera. I am from Colombia and I've been here in China since 2009. I came here um, uh, originally to do a master's degree in uh, uh, Nanjing University. Um, the master's degree was about history, Chinese modern history. And then after that, I, I knew I wanted to stay here in China. So I, I, I started to work here in China. And since then, I haven't stopped uh, working. So now, I mean, as you studied history, what are your, what is your current job or what is your current business about? I've been in the coffee industry since 2005, uh, sorry, 2015. And then uh, recently, last year, I created my own company, which is a, a very niche, uh, which is a consulting for the coffee industry or the coffee sector here in China. So that's what I'm now dedicated uh, since last year. But I've been involved, not involved, but I've been really deep into the um, Chinese coffee market or industry since 2015. Quite interesting from this kind of history background into the coffee industry. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like uh, maybe bring us a little bit more back? Uh, so why actually did you did you decide uh, to come to China? And what was your career path during all the time so that you pretty much ended up or really uh, choose by yourself this kind of industry? I, I worked uh, many years in Colombia before coming to, to China. So I had some background uh, already uh, at the end as a project manager, uh, as I was working in a software development company. And so I was a project manager, one of the of the software, so the main software of the company. And then, so when I finished here my master's degree in history, then I look for a job again, and then I got a job in, in Hangzhou. It was a Chinese company related to Alibaba. That was 2013. And then I, I think that I'm, everything in Hajo is related to Alibaba. So I worked there one, one year and a half. Uh, I started as a, as a, I started in another position. It was not a management position, but then because they, they, they my bosses and, and my leaders, um, realized that I knew how to manage people. So they were like, oh, okay, so you can manage this team of um, multicultural team, which was uh, foreigners with Chinese um, to develop the market. So it was uh, to develop markets in Europe, in Russia, and here in China. And then I was also in charge of the Latin American market. And then after that, I moved to Shanghai for doing uh, some work as a, as admin manager for a French manufacturing company. And then I jumped into a, a job opportunity in Shanghai after that, which was related to coffee. It was sales manager uh, in a um, wholesale B2B uh, coffee company. And then since then, I just been hooked into this uh, coffee industry, which it was, it's, it's funny because I, as a Colombian, I uh, I didn't really drink. I knew a lot about coffee, but uh, after entering into the industry here, I really started to dedicate myself to learn and learn about the coffee and the industry and all the different details about it. And now I'm also a, um, 
quality grader, which is like a sommelier in the wine industry. Uh, this is the same for the coffee industry. So I'm like, I can professionally qualify, I can, I can test a coffee and then I say if what kind of quality is it and so on. So yeah, that's more or less. So I see you're quite multi-talented looking into different kinds of fields, into different kinds of jobs. So mm -hmm. the original motivation, you always wanted to come to China or was mm -hmm. there a different yeah, plan right. before? Right, right. So I, I've always been fascinated with Asian cultures. So back in early 2000s uh, in Colombia, I, I think even before, I started to learn Japanese instead of Chinese, because at that time, China was not so, the soft power in China was not too strong. And then at least in Latin America, what we have was more Japanese culture coming from manga, anime, and like uh, Chinese, uh, Japanese food. So I started learning Japanese. Uh, it was many years, uh, I was proficient in the language. But then I, I wanted to have um, um, a scholarship to go to Japan. But then the Japanese economy was really stagnated. So that's I realized, no, probably it's not a good idea. Then uh, I saw more and more news coming uh, from China, that Chinese economy was doing very well. Uh, China was developing super strong with a GDP of uh, 18, 15, then 13 points. Um, so it was um, amazing. So then I was like, okay, let's probably uh, it would be a better idea to change to China. So I, I uh, applied to a, a scholarship um, in Colombia through the um, governmental um, uh, organization that deals with all the scholarships uh, uh, from other countries. And then it was through, and it was through the Confucius Institute. So I, I won a partial scholarship. And then after, um, that I started learning a little bit of Chinese. It was only six months in Colombia. And after that, then I just uh, I just came to China. I did my first uh, year. It was in a university of Chinese, which was not enough. And then I started to immediately with a master's degree in Chinese with uh, my Chinese uh, uh, classmates. I was the only foreigner. So everything was in Chinese, all the classes, all the materials. But because I was the only foreigner, they really cut some slack on me and they let me read, for example, the materials. Um, they gave me some, um, some reference and all that in English so I can read the English books uh, of the same topic. And sometimes also they let me wrote um, the, the, the papers and the Luenwen, everything in, in between Chinese and English. That's quite so, impressive. Yeah. So you pretty much learned Chinese here from scratch, right? Yes, yes. But yes, yes. It was like a, a crash course. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me a little bit to, to my story because actually I always focused on Europe. My dream was to live and work in France. I was uh, super fluent in French. And then just <laughs> one person told me, you should go to Shanghai. It's such an amazing city. And I thought like, okay, you know, go there for a few months. And so now I'm still here since 14 years, meanwhile. <laughs> and uh, I also learned Chinese pretty much from the streets uh, of Shanghai. Oh. And then later also, let's say a little bit more professional. But wow. yeah, very, very interesting. 
Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your business. So um, could you explain a little bit more um, what exactly yeah. is your business providing? And yeah, how does it work and how did you set it up here in China? After working many years in the coffee industry, I was still with my, my uh, last employer uh, last year. And then I had more and more people coming to me and telling me, hey, can you help me out? Uh, uh, there is a, a coffee project or coffee opportunity. Can you help us on this and that? And I was always telling them, look, if, if I can help you with something, it's, it's through the, my, my, the, the company that I was working at. So if you have any part of that project that I can channel through here, I am glad to help you. Uh, but then I heard more and more of this. And then at some point I was like, because I was also trying to, those opportunities, I was trying also to, let's say, sell those opportunities to my leaders, uh, to my uh, to the managing partners of the company. But they were very focused on, no, no, our work uh, is this, this and that. And let's not uh, change the, the focus on that. So then I realized maybe it's a, maybe, I should create my own company to work on these projects because I, I knew I have the knowledge. I had the networking um, here in China. I knew all the suppliers. I know how is the logistics. I know how to get also coffees from abroad. I uh, qualify the coffee so like that you pay uh, um, the price that you need to pay for the quality of that coffee. Um, what are the roasters? What they are doing? What is what kind of packaging you can use? How you can play that in the B two B or retail part, etc. So I created a company which is a consulting services for the coffee industry. Now it's not only for coffee companies, though there is a part, of course, of, of for coffee companies, but it's mostly for a lot of investors, Chinese investors right now, they uh, coffee is the hottest uh, drink uh, sector in the F&B industry. So there's a lot of Chinese investors that they really want to invest in coffee industry. They, they, they have the resources, they have the capital, but they don't understand the, the coffee market itself. So they need someone to help them out to develop either their brand or their product or uh, from, from zero or uh, their, their coffee stores that they want to create, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's the part that I also um, I'm working. So I help uh, like uh, um, uh, investors, uh, they are creating their brands that are not, their original focus is not coffee at all, but probably from the finance industry or the tech industry. and. Uh, so on, uh, like uh, Locking is a good example, right? The Locking uh, business, uh, Locking Coffee started, uh, the founders were not related to coffee and they, ju they just started it. And uh, recently there is a good example also of that, which is China Post. China Post also have their, uh, some coffee shops now, which uh, they created um, because they have a lot of these uh, China Post venues and then there was a less and less people using those services and because it's a Chinese company, is a, um, a public company, right? So they, they cannot say, oh, we are just going to close in this or that city, right? They need to be open uh, in several places in China. So they were like, what can we do to create more traffic into our, into our China Post venues? So the, someone said, oh, why don't we create a, a pop-up corner for coffee or like a, a coffee corner or a, a coffee shop inside, right? So they started this, this project, uh, I think last year 
um, or a little bit uh, probably uh, earlier. And then they partner up with a company that they are in Yunnan uh, from one of my friends. He's American. And then uh, he's been in Yunnan doing uh, the coffee um, business uh, for a long, long, long time. So uh, China Post partnered up with, uh, with him and with his company and they created the concept. So all everything, what was the coffee that they need to use, uh, what were the, the, the coffee beverages and all that, what kind of machines, how was the setup uh, and the layout for, for the store itself, for putting out the different equipments that you need to put, because depending, you need to put also filters for water, etc. So it's like the whole thing, uh, my, my, my friend uh, helped them to create. And now uh, China Post has some uh, coffee uh, stores uh, around. And that example um, started to create like a trend uh, in the industry, which is, uh, um, for example, leaning coffee, just registered leaning coffee, leaning cafe as a trademark because they want to probably start to have their coffee corners inside their stores. Um, Relax, which is the e-electronic cigarette brand here in China. They also just opened last month and this month the first two stores of coffee in, here in Chengdu. I'm right now in Chengdu, but I live in Shanghai. And then there are a lot of like Huawei also registered their, their Huawei coffee name. So probably they're gonna do also something related to coffee and so on. So this kind of trend that uh, I think uh, China Post started is being like very trendy now. And that's why I and my company have uh, a lot of opportunities because mm -hmm. they need people to understand the market, to help them to develop these kind of projects. You make me very curious. I think tomorrow I'm gonna go to China Post and try their coffee. <laughs> I mean, I could not imagine if I tell later my friends my favorite coffee, I drink at China Post. <laughs> and I would I, wish I, we would have the same in Germany, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if they have in all China Post of China, but they, are, they have some store. But I can tell you that they, their, their coffee is good um, because also it's from Yunnan and uh, it's very good quality. So yeah, it, that's it a really be, cool idea. And also shows how various your customers are. Um, regarding yes. customers or maybe also suppliers, do you only deal with locals or maybe you even talk to the one or other flexpat or expat? So with yes. what kind of people do you usually deal? So, and I think it's, it's, the, it's very similar for our industries here um, because the coffee industry is kind of new, let's say, quote unquote. Uh, because it's been, uh, I don't know how many years in China, the real, the re, the coffee industry as we know it now really started, I, I would say 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I mean, the, when Starbucks uh, entered uh, into Beijing, that would be the, the first time, right? But it's, it's been so many years until it really started to have some crack. And then the, usually then this kind of new industries, um, in China, you, usually there are foreigners dealing with that at the beginning, right? While the Chinese uh, entrepreneurs and the companies started to learn more and more, right? So right now, I have uh, I can rely on on like suppliers and other distributors and so on are both Chinese companies that they are doing very very well and they know very well their 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 techniques for roasting and so on. But I also rely on the companies that are created for um, from um, uh, for China, but the owners are expats or flexpats, I would say. And then um, so they also know they have a very 
unique understanding of the of the industry so i can just leverage both of them it depends on what i'm looking for um i, I would use for example if it's colombian coffee that i'm uh, looking for i will probably go to uh, one of my friends which is a colombian uh green beans um importer but if i'm looking for yunnan coffee i will probably look for a chinese company uh doing the yunnan coffee beans so which pretty much also means network is everything right yes yes and have you had all this network already through your job or what did you do additionally because i can imagine you know growing your business it's not only what you got from your job before but it also needs some extra work so what was this kind of extra work you did yes so so it's actually it was very challenging i guess someone that created his own company is gonna say the same but uh it was very challenging at the beginning because uh, for example i had a lot of um, uh, customers and networking from my previous companies that i really cannot uh, i i couldn't start to tap on them uh, because they were like they have businesses with my my previous employers um, so I didn't want to to have like a, let's say bad blood with uh, with the with the previous uh, companies that I worked at. So so I had to kind of start pushing my the pitch of my company and the services with kind of like a new networking within my network. So starting to talking to uh, to people that uh, that was not talk, talking before or trying to go to events that I was not participating too much and then just started to talk with people and people and so I I, I was doing a lot of networking uh, working the in the first months of the company talking with people from different completely different industries I was not talking to mostly to coffee uh, industry people I was talking with other uh, people uh, from different industries so for example, I have right now a project, and that's why I'm in, in Chengdu. There is a project that it's a it's a new coffee brand that from Chinese investors that they want to open uh, uh, some coffee shops here in this area. And uh, um, one of my friends from F&B industry, when I told him that I was doing this, he introduced me to a to a um, investor from uh, UK. Uh, that he was uh, not having coffee projects and so on, but he, I just wanted to pitch the, the story of my company. And then we keep in touch. And then he was like, oh, by the way, I have a friend, uh, a Chinese investor doing something about coffee. You, you should talk to him. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, then the project really, I started working with them uh, just recently, but just because it was the referral of a referral of a referral. So you never know. So you need to keep really opening networkings with uh, with uh, places that you would never expect to have because the important and i think that's very important for a, uh, any flexpad is that um you let you need to let people know what you are doing and what your company is also doing because you never know where you're gonna have a lead that uh, gets you into a new project or a business was it easy for you to explain to people what you're doing might they just think, okay, he's selling coffee, or what does he want? <laughs> At the beginning, yes. Yeah. So I was saying, look, I am I'm from Colombia. I'm in the coffee business. So everyone's like, oh, okay, so you're going to introduce me coffee from Colombia. And I was like, um, no, I can do that if you want, but that's not my main business. Uh, and then I'm just trying to explain to them. So at the beginning, it was very tricky. 
and also because I at the beginning you don't know how to correctly do the pitching. Uh, so how, how to pitch people, you always are adjusting your pitch at the beginning. And now I have it more, um, uh, uh, not perfected, but uh, it's, it's better than before. And so, yeah, it, it took a while, to be honest, to convince, to convince people. And also I've been, re uh, I've been writing. One, that's one of the things that also I, I tell people when they are um, uh, doing their own um, company or they are pushing as a freelancer, for example, they need to write about uh, their expertise. If they think they are experts on something, um, they, they should be writing things either in their LinkedIn or contacting uh, specialized magazines from here in China or abroad to tell them, look, I, I wrote this article about this particular topic. Um, I would like to, uh, to have a place to publish it. Would you guys be interested? Right. So you, you also need to develop a little bit of that because that's how people see that you're an expert. When you have uh, articles online that they, for example, they look, uh, for example, if someone looks Google me, Felipe Cabrera coffee, they will find articles that I have wrote in, in a specialized coffee magazine. So that's why how I, I started to get more people reaching out to me through LinkedIn. They were like, oh, you are, you are the coffee expert in China. I was like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yes, yes, you can say so. I don't like to, to call myself an expert, but I understand uh, in deep uh, the, 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 the coffee culture here. But so I have a lot of people contacting me. So if I may summarize, uh, persistency in really like networking, communicating, then yeah. continuous pitching and the writing are the three things that really boosted your, your business setup? Yes, I would say so. Okay, very, very cool. Um, I mean, just because it comes just to my mind, did your Japanese language skills ever help you through your through your business so far? <laughs> um, uh, to develop networking, yes. Okay. Uh, and also to at the beginning for my learning of Chinese, the characters because I already knew the Japanese characters, I knew how to write at least, like how to, to write the strokes and so on, right? And then also on the cell phone, it's easier to, to use in the pinyin and selecting the, the characters, right? So that helped me a lot at the beginning. Uh, but right now, usually it's for networking. Uh, I almost forgot all my Japanese, to be honest. Uh, Chinese is such a hard language that uh, I, I, I'm always speaking in English or in Chinese. Uh, I don't usually speak uh, Spanish here only when I call my family back at home or with some very few friends that I have here uh, that are, they are Spanish speakers. So the Japanese goes completely out of my head due to Chinese. Yeah, Chinese uh, occupies almost every capacity of your brain. Don't ask mm. how my French is doing meanwhile. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, pretty yeah, it's, much yeah, gone. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that sounds yeah pretty. Uh, also, I think what I recognized, you have so many different backgrounds, so very sui generis, uh, also knowledge, right? And I have the feeling everything that you've done or everything that you've learned, you somehow can bring in into your into your career now. Um, is there anything that stands out where you'd say, without this, I would have never made it? It's difficult to say in which part, I guess. You are, um, you are the summary of all of your experiences, good and bad, right? So 
I, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be doing this if I wouldn't have uh, all the experiences that I've been having here in China, which are are, are like good, bad, are, are outstanding, and so on, right? So I, I don't know where to pinpoint, but I would guess um, all the all the difficulties at the beginning as an expat, as a flexpat, uh, uh, really helped me to later challenge myself. Uh, so one someone on the previous uh, flexpat podcast was saying, uh, Nadat, right? That you interviewed yes. him. China is not for everyone. So all the challenges that you see here really force you to challenge yourself and adapt and change. If you cannot do it, you're out of China after one or two years. True. Yeah, so yeah mostly max, in the beginning. Max three years, right? Uh, so if people like you and me, that we've been here like many, many years, it's because we had to adapt and we have to get out of our comfort zone. I guess we have a lot of uh, friends or colleagues that are Chinese that we need to talk with them in Chinese, right? Um, so getting out of your comfort zone, I think is a, is a key part of uh, being a flexpat. And so that's why all, all, all the experiences that I've been having leads me to here. Looking a little bit into the future, because every time I go to a coffee shop, I have the feeling there's always a new trend or there's why suddenly, you know, you, you have one thing you saw in like kind of these big stores and suddenly you see it everywhere. Um, so how usually trends, coffee trends build up in China and how do they spread? Usually the trends starts in the big cities, like in, in Shanghai, Shenzhen, uh, Beijing sometimes. Um, and then because, you know, like, like China, we, we always in the big cities, uh, you have a lot of people from uh, other provinces that goes to, they, they go to work to the big cities to either to study the university there or to start uh, trying to find a, a job there and so on. So a lot of people on the coffee industry, the baristas and so on, they are people from other provinces. For example, I, I live in Shanghai. So there are, in Shanghai, there are a lot of people from different provinces that they go there, work there as baristas, as a roasters, as etc. And then they, after three, four years, they learn how to do it. They learn the tricks that are what the was the was the Shanghai coffee market doing, and then at some point they decided to want to go back home because they want to get married or or the family tell them to you know come back, um, and so on. So when they go back to their hometowns, it could be a second, third, uh, fourth, fifth tier city, uh, they expect to have the, that coffee culture that they they enjoyed in the in the big cities. Or if they were baristas and so on, they they probably they would say, well, I don't see anything in my city or in this district where I live that, that are doing coffee the way we do it in Shanghai. So I'm going to do something like that, right? So that's the trend. Usually from the East Coast, the big cities of the East Coast, they 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 give the trend to the, to the central or the West areas of China. But then when they, when, those cultures, coffee cultures starts in those areas, it gets localized. So for example, here in Chengdu, the coffee culture is, uh, is different from Shanghai. They drink coffee a lot, or, uh, especially special drinks, what we call tetiao. Um, there are almost uh, like a presentation as, as a cocktail-like drink 
but with a hobby in alcohol. Now, also here, they, 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 they are all the time outside drinking, uh, eating, and so on. So there are uh, a lot of coffee shops during the evenings. They convert into bars. So they have a lot of coffee cocktails or even just alcohol. So they, they, this is what we call in the, in the industry uh, Sao C1A. Sao, morning, morning C, coffee, uh, evening A, alcohol. So that's, those, those are the trends usually goes from big cities to the other cities. But then when they arrive to the other reg regions, they get transformed into a localized version of, uh, of that trend. Yeah, interesting. So that I could even have a different coffee experience uh, by traveling through China. Actually, yes, I was exactly. recently on a holiday on a very small island, Weizhou Island near to Beihai. And even there, I had this beautiful, small coffee coffee place and his coffee was amazing. Now I really regret I haven't asked him where he's learned. Mm -hmm. Probably he was just in one of the big cities and then he had so. his old kind of twists. So he had a kind of like really fancy menu. I actually like that. And now I also understand much better that by traveling through different cities, you could mm -hmm. also see a little bit, not only different cuisine, but also different kind of coffee yes. styles. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very. Uh, that, cool. That's a good point. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. So, um, what kind of changes do you foresee in the coffee market in China, except that coffee stores are growing? I think they. Um, and I was reading actually a, a, a paper about that in Chinese recently, saying that the biggest expansion expansion, it's gonna be on the second, third tier cities, uh, in the future. Because the, the first tier cities, even uh, the first original uh, tier cities are saturated. But the new first tier cities, like Chengdu, for example, are not saturated yet. And then the second and third tier cities, that's the place that uh, the young generation are, are really getting more and more coffee, uh, coffee habits. And that's, that's, I think, that's the future of the coffee industry to get out of the of the big cities and get more and more into smaller cities or even towns which are very touristic so they will have some coffee um, so that's gonna be and then it means that uh, the the coffee industry will probably get a lot of uh, localization depending on the region uh, they will uh, get some unique characteristics of that region so I think um, that's that's going to happen uh, probably in the next three to five years. Uh, the coffee also is going to, uh, I think, is going to get so mainstream that you will get uh, in the future coffees for the less price, uh, for less price that we are paying now. Do you think this is rather beneficial for your business because you will have more customers or do you then also think that uh, your kind of service will also get mainstream and more and more people do consulting or maybe because it's so easy to find suppliers, this will even then be, be harder for you. What do you think? I think uh, in the near future, I think uh, in these uh, three to five years, um, my my services or services uh, like, like the ones that uh, we offer uh, are gonna be still needed. After those five years, I'm not sure because we need to see how is the market changing. Uh, maybe at that point, the, the consulting services is gonna be very specific on certain parts of the business. 
Um, right now it's in the whole chain. So I, I don't know in the future it's gonna be, but this, when the coffee gets really mainstream, I guess the main problem would be how to provide enough coffee to the market. Temporarily we need to say, okay, then I need to focus on the importing side or something like that. But uh, yeah, right now I think in the near future there is still a lot of uh, opportunities and, and business to do. Yeah, if I'm very honest uh, about you anyway, I have no single doubt because you're so adaptable. <laughs> there any change that comes you just embrace it uh, and uh, gonna do something about it right <laughs> probably yeah but is there anything you're afraid of that might happen in the future so i i am a, i'm a historian right of chinese mother history so i learned a lot about the changes that happened in china after the opium wars the the republican era and then the beginning of the of the People's Republic of China and so on. And then um, before, I think uh, in the, in, until recently, I think economy here in China, the trumpet uh, politics. And now uh, we are seeing with this the COVID situation, it's probably the balance between economy and politics. The, econo the economic part was heavier right in this balance uh, and i think now the politics are getting now more more heavier they are getting heavier and heavier than the, the economy so that's one of the things uh that i am um, uh, a little bit afraid of what's going to happen in the future what are the, the changes are the new policies then we need to navigate through and on until what point we will be able to navigate them as a flex spot, right? So let's see, let's see. I, I don't foresee any big changes in the in the coming five years, but in 10 years, so I, I don't know. The world is changing uh, recently very fast. So I, 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 cannot, I cannot say what is gonna happen in the next 10 years. And five years is meanwhile already a long outlook. So yes. Yes. that's why we do not even dare to look 10 years ahead. But yeah. uh, makes me makes me optimistic yeah, and I fully agree with you. I mean, I've always lived in Shanghai and just visited Beijing and I have a few friends in Beijing. They probably felt those political side always a little bit more. Um, but in Shanghai, we're also not at all used to that. And now even, yeah. I mean, latest since the lockdown, we can uh, feel those things much more. And it's actually yeah. something I'm also a little bit afraid of. How will it develop? Will it be like this? Okay, we can get used to it or will it get mm -hmm. worse? So this is something which will still be a little bit of a surprise. Yes, yes. <laughs> so as you are invited to the Flexpad podcast, would okay. you like to give your summary of what you think is a typical Flexpad? I think there are probably two kinds of Flexpads. Um, one is the, the one that... Uh, um, came to China in a very high position, let's say, in a management uh, for a, like the company from abroad moved them here to be the director or, or something like that. Uh, and then they've been here many years in China. They were probably not married at that time and now they are married probably with a, a Chinese local, right? So, so and then uh, they, the way they also work and do business probably changed also. So they adapt from a very high-end expat, let's say, become more and more a flexpat, or even they created their, their own businesses, right? So I think that's one 
type of uh, flexpack and the other type would be uh, someone similar like me, which is um, a uh, um, flexpad that uh, came to China from a not uh, either from a developed country or from a less developed con country, let's say from Latin, Latin America. And then we started our way, let's say from, from the not low, but let's say middle or uh, middle management level up to up, 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 up to the to the higher management level or after that even creating uh, uh, your own companies. So I think that those are two types of flexpad. Both of them, uh, those two types, they share the same, which is adaptability um, to the changes, ongoing changes in China. Um, resilience, I guess, which you need to, to have some resilience to the ongoing changes over and over here. And also um, open-minded, I guess. Both types are open-minded, otherwise they, they, they wouldn't be here, right? We, we wouldn't be here we, if we are not open-minded and, and uh, learn how to see things from the other person's point of view. Very true, because even in an expat bubble, you cannot hide forever. So sooner or later, yeah. you will be exposed. Yeah. So we are almost at the end of our episode. Uh, two more questions I would have. First sure. one is, so who should listen to this episode? So to whom would you recommend tune in to learn what you were saying? Uh, because we are less and less, I guess, here in China, I would say uh, every expat or flexpat that are that is still interested in being here in China, uh, or even uh, people uh, abroad that they want to come to China, they they can listen to the not even this episode but the other episodes of the podcast because then you can see how we. Uh, do it here uh, uh, and in a very realistic point of view it's not like oh it's uh it's like a fairy tale and china and it's so easy and all this and that no no it's gonna be it's it, they are gonna hear the stories from people that we've been here many years uh so they will hear okay i think it's tough we need to prepare probably we need to learn chinese right um, um, be open-minded for any challenges, right? So I think that that would be the, the public. People is, is still here or people that wants to come here in, uh, in these uh, challenging situations of the world right now. Yeah, I can't agree more. I think the Flexfield podcast is like an onboarding class. And <laughs> yes, exactly. And later, I mean, as we are from all of us from different industries, from different backgrounds, we can always learn from each other because this yeah. is how... I mean, how we survive sounds so bad, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we at the end, we I think we all enjoy our lives here. But it's yeah. always nice to to develop yourself, to learn from others, and to exchange. And especially when you have a hard time, sometimes it's also good to exchange with someone who went through yes. the same. I think this yes. is very important. Yes, true, true. Because nobody outside this experience will understand you. So uh, yes, uh, also have like a, that networking of support is good in the bad times. 
Yeah, correct. Especially if you tell problems uh, to your people back home, they ask you, yeah, why yeah. don't you come back? <laughs> exactly. That. Why do you go there? I told you not to go there, right? <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you anymore about this topic. <laughs> And this has not gotten better after the lockdowns. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what's your final message to our audience? The final message would be... Um, It, it, it doesn't matter where you are, if you want to, if you are here in China or you want to come here, uh, the message would be uh, prepare yourself, um, uh, be uh, the perseverance is very important. And also, uh, I, I don't know what we just like uh, accept challenges because China is not easy, yes, but neither Japan. If you talk with flexpats in Japan, it's probably going to be very similar things, not about the, the, the changes in the government or the politics, but on the culture, because it's such a different culture from our West, uh, Western culture. Or even if you are from the Middle East or India, you know, or from the Pacific, it's a very unique uh, East Asia. It's a very unique culture. So, so prepare for challenges. Thank you very much. I think the funny thing is, as flexpats, we feel somehow connected, but you are from Colombia, I'm from Germany, and our cultures yeah. are also so different, right? Yeah, true, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was really a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I enjoyed I all the insights you were giving to us. I hope a lot of people tune in and also share this episode so their friends and families can learn from it. Mm. Thanks a lot for your time, Hopefully. Felipe, and have You're a very welcome. good day. Thank you so much. Uh, you too. Have a good evening. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye.